Uh, so yeah, we just got back uh, from Brazil and uh, going into it, uh, it was recommended that you give yourself uh, two days of travel on either end just in case things happen. Uh, and so on the way there, uh, we showed up at Newark and they shipped us to JFK and they're like, Hey, you are not going to make it in Miami. So we're going to send you to JFK. Uh, and we ended up taking off about one in the morning. Uh, and so that was wild uh, on the way back. Uh, we're traveling. It's my son Landon's first time ever traveling international. And, uh, and so he made the rookie mistake of, uh, on the way back, he did not sleep. Uh, he watched uh, three or four movies on the flight uh, and did not sleep uh, a wink. Uh, actually, no, one wink. Uh, right before, as we were landing, he finally fell asleep and then would not wake up. I literally had to slap him on the, slap him on the face to be like, dude, we're getting off the plane, uh, to which he started being animated about why people weren't getting off the plane fast enough. And I was like, well, we're, we're, we're still rolling into the, the terminal. So, uh, <laughs> Stop losing your crap here for a second. And, uh, and so then we got off and there was a bunch of delays, customs and security. Took a wild time. We show up at the final gate at, at 825 and our flight took off at, at 833. We just missed them closing the doors. <laughs> and so that led to delay. Standby after standby. We got standby. Graham actually got a ticket for a flight at about 3 o'clock. They handed him the ticket and then said, oh, the flight's canceled. <laughs> like literally that's how that worked out. Uh, and so in the afternoon, here's a, here's a picture of Landon. At that point, he had had enough. We were waiting uh, on a, for a plane at about, I think it was supposed to take off at seven. We were on standby. Uh, my dude was just like, I'm out. And so he grabbed the blanket that mommy packed for him. Uh, and he went on to the floor right there in the middle of the airport and fell asleep. Now here's where it gets interesting. Uh, he would not wake up. I had to shake him. I was lifting his arm and letting it fall on the concrete floor, the floor right there. Nothing was waking up. Finally, I did get him to wake up and come to find out what happens over the next few moments was Landon sleepwalking. <laughs> Landon got up and was super angry about the Skittles that Graham had bought him or the Starburst that Graham had bought him. He's like, dad, there's no room in my backpack. And then he threw the Skittles, threw them down on the ground and we're like, Dude, Graham is right here. He just bought you these. Like, what are you doing? And, and then he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I got I to gotta go to the bathroom. I was like, okay, well, it's like right here and pointed over here. And so Landon walked over here towards a trash can. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, no. No, 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 no. And I was like, doofus, the bathroom's over here. So he made it over the bathroom. And then he walks out of the bathroom and I'm holding his backpack. And I was like, dude, you need your backpack. He's like, I got my backpack. And he went to pick up a backpack off the ground in front of an old man that was sitting on the ground and proceeded to tell me how that was his backpack. And I was like, doofus, I'm holding your backpack. You're holding somebody else's backpack. So thankfully the dude knew that the, my son was like sleepwalking or something. Uh, and then we get to the terminal. He proceeded to fall asleep. And that's where Graham and I were like, we just need to go get a hotel because homeboy <laughs> is done. And uh, we would look at the situation and we would say, you know what? Even though he was acting unreasonably, uh, the situation was unreasonable. Uh, it's kind of like in that regard, it's kind of a reasonable response to an unreasonable uh, situation. What I want to look at today is those moments where like my son Landon, where life is throwing things at us and we just kind of want to say enough. 
where we want to respond to human nature, respond to an unreasonable situation unreasonably and have that be okay. Here's faith, though. Faith will take when we have an unreasonable situation before us and there's some reasonable outcomes, reasonable responses to freak out or to lose one's mind or things of that nature. Humans would say that's a reasonable response. Faith drives us to do the unreasonable when faced with the unreasonable. And so today we're going to look at a passage in the, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus confronts us and confronts our feelings and asks us and demands of us that we would respond in an unreasonable way out of our faith and out of our love for the master. So in the context of what we've looked at with Pastor Diego uh, in the last few sermons is that we have to fight temptation and when we are fighting temptation, you know what that means? That means I feel like doing something and I ought not to do it. We have to do things when it comes to serving our God that I do not feel like doing, but I ought to do. And so here's where we're going to pick it up. Jesus speaks to the Pharisees and he says this in Luke uh, chapter 17. He says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep Say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards, afterwards you will eat and drink. Now, the original language has this word uh, doulos, which actually means slave. And that, that changes the story a little bit. That changes the parable that Jesus is, is talking to us about just a little bit. Because servant insinuates kind of a nine-to-five job. A servant kind of insinuates that I have a choice. A servant kind of insinuates that I can walk away when I don't feel like it anymore. But a slave, that's, that's a completely different context. That takes choice out of the matter. You just do what you are told. But, but when the Bible was translated... Slavery had a very dark time. And so I have to acknowledge that as we talk about a slave and a master, I'm a white middle-aged man using these words. I have to understand that, that in our American context, what we understand when we hear those words is something ugly and atrocious and disgusting. We have to understand that we're still fighting that battle in America for equality and to treat people with dignity. And so I'm just going to acknowledge that that is the perspective that many of us have and acknowledge that's the perspective that I can't divorce myself from as a white middle-aged man. But what I want to address here is the Bible's perspective because Jesus is talking about this in a way that the original audience would not look, uh, not look weirdly or not look at the, hey, this is an odd way to be talking. This was a part of their culture and it wasn't always like our American history. Here's a passage that, that uh, uh, is in 1 Peter to draw our attention to the spiritual perspective. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed, purchased, bought 
from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus, but that, uh, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You and I are slaves to our master. How did our master purchase us? With the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that is the perspective in which Jesus himself is speaking. He tells this story to the Pharisees, which would understand the context that they themselves are living in, that there would be a slave that is, is watching the sheep, working the fields, working all day long, and, and is utterly tired, hard work, laborsome, exhausting. And Jesus brings out this common sense thing of at the end of the day, the, the servant is going to get into the house and the servant will not be waited on. The servant will do the waiting and make the dinner. And then after that, go in to eat. That you've done your job, but there's still more work to be done, even when it feels unreasonable. As I thought about this uh, at Wellspring Church, there were two names, and there's plenty of examples, plenty, plenty of examples. But let me just, and I won't use their names, but let me tell you about Person A. Person A serves on our elder team as a deaconess. Person A uh, spends three to four hours a week counseling and talking through life issues with other uh, women. Person A uh, helps organize our mentoring relationships and helps uh, other people facilitating their relationships to grow in their walk with Jesus. But person A oversees a starting point, Bible basics and well basics. Person A, in her context, many of us would say that is enough. We would look at her life. We would look at uh, her, her time and whatnot. And we'd say, okay, that is, that, is, that, is, that is plenty and that is enough. But when I look at her life, what is over the top? What, is, what would be, hey, I've worked all day and now I'm going to serve the master dinner? Is person A choosing to work on the cleaning team and be here every other Friday to clean the church. To me, that's over the top given everything else this person is doing. Person B also serves as an elder. Person B uh, helps lead well basics. Person B attends a life group. Person B uh, mentors other people. Person B uh, oversees building projects and, and like the painted room that we are in. Person B uh, is, is helping uh, on the cleaning team, serves the cleaning team, organizes the cleaning team. Person B, we would say, man, that is enough. That is, we would look at his life context and we say, man, that person has been serving all day long in the fields of a, but person B also helps at, well, youth on Wednesday nights, that over-the-top service. And there are so many examples like this at Wellspring Church. Now, is that something that only people in key leadership should be doing? No. That is the life example of a Christian, isn't it? Like, that is what uh, somebody who calls on Jesus as Lord and Savior, who has given their life over to Jesus, that is, that is how we are to serve our master, and so it's not just, hey, that's what leaders should do. But if leaders are living like Christians, then that becomes part of the everyday walk. So how, what does this look like for you and I? God, you need someone in nursery so the parents can have an hour of respite? I'll do it. God, you need someone to help clean so people can, can worship in a cleanly environment? I'll do it. God, when I've worked all day, long hours, all day long, and I come home and, and I need to serve my family, serve my spouse, I'll do it. God, when I'm on summer break and I'm tapped out from a school year, but the kid next door, that middle school kid who's annoying and picks his nose still, needs a little tutoring, I'll do it. 
God, when I've worked all week long and it's been raining Monday through Friday, but there's a CKA on a Saturday and it's the first sunny day all week, I'll do it. It's one of our values, daily surrender. I forgot to put it up on the screens, but daily surrender would say that, that every day we're waking up to give lives, our lives over to Jesus, to walk more and more like Jesus. That every day there's, there's steps that you and I can take to surrender parts of our life to Jesus, to be like Jesus. We called it daily surrender on purpose. We didn't call it occasional surrender. We're giving our lives over to Jesus. Here's where, the, here's where Jesus goes on in, in the parable. Uh, he says uh, this, verse 9, uh, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded to do? Again, bringing out this common sense thing when you come from a master into a, into a slave. The slave comes in and he does what he is told. He's a, he's, a, he's a hired hand. He might be tired, but he's been purchased. And so you, you do what you are told. You don't do it expecting a thanks. You, this isn't a, a, you, don't, you see this in the military. A military person gets orders. They, they achieve their orders. They do their orders. And then they move on. They don't go back you know, to the sergeant or to the person in charge and await their thanks. They just do what they are told. They don't do it to get, thanksed, to get thanked. A thank, a thank might come, a thank you might come, you might get a that a boy, but that's not why you do it. And that is not as the one who does the work, you don't expect the thank you, although you appreciate the thank you. The Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, they had a, an elaborate system of rewards and punishments. You do dirty, you get punished. You look clean, you get rewarded. That's kind of how they controlled people and controlled religion. But they've also brought that to God. God, when I do good, you owe me. God, when I do bad, please be merciful. Hmm. Who's the debtor? What does God owe us? For God to owe me a thank you puts God in my debt. Dear Christian, that is never the case. And so God is Jesus, the son of man who came to be the ransom for you and I, is looking at these Pharisees who expected to be rewarded with a thank you and saying, no, you are wildly mistaken. So we got back. I was supposed to be back Tuesday night. Uh, I got back technically Thursday morning at about 1 a.m. It was a wild trip back into the States, into New Jersey. We ended up actually getting into LaGuardia when we were supposed to go to Newark. So we hit all the airports on this trip in the New York City area. Uh, and so, uh, but then our bags were in Newark. And so we had to rent a whole thing, right? Uh, so we got back late, uh, went to bed and uh, had a breakfast meeting in the morning and, uh, and then um, had to come home and unpack a little bit just so I could go about my day, then had to do some sermon prep and some other things, then had to go with Graham to return the car, then had to shoot videos with Graham, uh, and then had to come back and, and, and uh, give my kids a little bit of attention since I hadn't seen them for so long and whatnot. Uh, but when I got home, uh, I, uh, Ava and I got in a little bit of a tiff. Can I, can I tell you why? Because I, I unloaded the dishwasher and I was stressed out and she never said thank you. Can you, can you imagine that? <laughs> I unloaded the dishwasher and she didn't say thank you. 
Now, we didn't actually get in a fight, but now we are. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I, I kid, but because I, I mean, I did do the dishwasher, but I didn't look at her and be like, come on, where's my thank you? Because uh, that would be the black eye. Like, I'd be up here with like, oh, like, okay, no, I can't do, okay. Uh, but in all seriousness, can you imagine if I had? You, we laugh because it's comical because that doesn't happen. That's not how it should happen. If I live within my household, I do certain things. I give my kids $10 a week to do garbage work. Uh, and so when they come to me thinking, hey, you owe me that $10, hey, I, uh, and they complain about the chores that they have to do, I want to stick my foot up their butt because I'm like, I'm wildly overpaying you just to be a member of my house. You're going to do it with a smile on your face or you're going to have my foot up your butt. That's what it means to live in this house. And I kid, I'm not going to actually stick my foot in any person's butt. <laughs> but when you and I do what we are supposed to do simply because we are supposed to do it, you know what that's called? Maturity. <laughs> when you and I do what we are supposed to do, but expect to be worshipped for it, you know what that's called? Immaturity. We're not supposed to live in God's house like we're a 40-year-old something living in our parents' house expecting mommy to take care of us all the time, and we're, and we're supposed to be worshipped for it. It's, there's a time to serve our king, and that is kind of always. <laughs> God doesn't owe us anything. He has never owed us anything. He never will owe us anything. There's an old song, if you, some of you all remember it, is that Jesus paid it all. All to him I, I owe. Jesus ends this little parable with this. So, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. <laughs> Our attitude and our, and our duty, our, our delight is to serve our king. Our, our delight is, and the point is that, that God is superior. I'm not the superior one. If there's someone to be served, it's me serving my master. It's me serving my Jesus. It's not the other way around. Will there be times where God will reward us? Certainly. Will there be times where we get what feels like a thank you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Yes, but is that why we do it? Do we do it to get those things? Do we do it as if we are the superior one and he is beneath us? No, by no means. But so many of us live a Christian walk as if we are above our Jesus. We don't have the right to pick and choose when to obey. We are just supposed to obey. We were in the airport and I had to have these life lessons with Landon as as things were getting chaotic and we're on standby, I, I put Apple AirTags in all of my luggage and so I could see them flying to Newark while we were in Miami. Uh, that was wild. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, and so it, it was stressful. And so throughout the trip, Landon is joking around with Graham. Graham's joking around with him. They're pushing each other back and forth. They're calling each other uh, fart faces and whatnot. I don't know what their name calling was, but they're making fun of each other in, in dudes' ways, bro code, you know? And uh, he's learning all the important things of life. Uh, but then as this, the trip got more and more stressful, it was like, hey, Landon, 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 Landon. Not right now. <laughs> You see, like, hey, Landon, like, about 10 minutes ago, like, you could kind of push Graham a little bit. But, hey, we just found out that we're not getting on this plane. And so to push him again might be like, hey, now's not the right time. You kind of have to pick and choose. You kind of have to know when somebody has had enough and not to push them uh, over the edge. Landon, these jokes won't land right now. You kind of have to know 
when enough is enough and kind of pick your moments. I heard this quote in a book I was reading uh, while in Brazil. It says, experience is a cruel teacher. It gives the exam first and the lesson later. Actually, that was in a movie, not a book. But anyways, that was in a movie. Experience uh, is a cruel teacher. It gives the exam first and the lesson later. Landon had experienced all of these life situations, these stressful moments. And so in the moment, I was trying to teach him, hey, pick your spots. Otherwise, you're going to push Graham and Graham is going to freak out on you because the situation is very stressful. Now, as I was thinking through that, on the other side of the coin is our Christian walk, isn't it? On the other side of the coin, you and I maybe weren't walking through an airport on standby after standby after standpoint, but you've gone to your job and you've been overlooked, overlooked, overlooked for a promotion. You've gone to school and you saw this person got an A, this person got a B, I got a C, and I feel like my report was that much better. You have been in moments where you felt like unreasonably life was throwing you a curveball and you've wanted to respond in what feels like a reasonable way. And so as I was walking through the airport and as I was talking to Landon, here's a thought that I had. Faith doesn't have a pause button. If everybody else is, is freaking out on the TSA agent or the, or the lady at the rebooking uh, counter, if everybody else is reasonably freaking out when they're tired and been pushed to the limit, then the Christian has to respond unreasonably. Then the Christian has to respond with kindness. The Christian has to respond with patience. The Christian has to do the unreasonable thing when no one else will. The Christian has to unreasonably show their faith in the most unreasonable of circumstances. So when it's reasonable to cheat a little bit, we unreasonably hold to our integrity. Faith drives us to do the unreasonable. Why? Because Jesus did the unreasonable for you and I. We must be the people who serve our Jesus unreasonably, love unreasonably, sacrifice unreasonably, care unreasonably, give unreasonably. Why? Because Christ first did this all for us. Here's our big thought for this little parable, these three or four verses. It's at your service is our reality. At your service is our reality. I hope that's a mantra. I hope that that's an attitude that you and I can have when we look at all, when we look up in awe, when we raise a holy hand, when we're looking at our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Master, that it's always going to be at your service, at your service. But we'll say things like, hey, when push comes to shove, uh, I've had enough. We'll look at somebody and say, listen, I get it. We'll look to God and sometimes say, enough already. Or the big thing that I hear often is, I don't do this for the thanks, but a little appreciation would be nice. I don't do this for dot, 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 but a little appreciation would be nice. Because we're serving our master. And as we're serving our master, feelings come up. And we're a society that gives so much over to our feelings. God cares very much about your feelings. He really, 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 really does. He made you with feelings. But we can't be mistaken. My God does not serve my feelings. My feelings bow to him. 
So even when I've had enough, or even when I feel like, man, I, I, I don't, I, 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 I may, God, I've done enough. At your service. At your service. You and I have free will. And so we can pick and choose. We can choose to serve our king. But our faith and maturity would say, I have free will. But in my free will, I'm going to live as if serving my Jesus is not a choice. Because of my love for Jesus. There is a danger in feeling like we can never do enough. And some of you could read this passage and hear what I'm saying and say, okay, I'm going to become a serving Jesus workaholic. Please don't. Because that also doesn't honor God. This, this is like four verses in the entire Bible. <laughs> this is one aspect of the Christian walk. This is one aspect of, of following Jesus. This is one aspect of when I don't feel like it or when push comes to shove, I'm going to serve my Jesus. But you know what Jesus has also commanded? Not suggested, commanded, rest. He's commanded rest. So this is not to be workaholics. This is not to, to serve Jesus until you put yourself into the grave. This is one aspect of the whole Christian walk. where We're going to look at Jesus and we're going to say, at your service, at your service. And if he's commanding you to rest, you'll say, okay. Because if there's anyone that should look at this life and all of the unreasonable situations before us and respond in unreasonable Christ-likeness, it should be us, right? Church, sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes I feel like we're being a little soft in our Christian walk. Sometimes I feel like we're, we're, we're doing kind of like the, the, what is average and looking at God like he owes us and that we're doing but when I read through the Gospels, when I read through the, the New Testament, man, there's, there's a conviction that grows out of, man, these people truly gave, like went to the grave. The average American gives $737 to charity. That's $14 a week. I know some of us don't feel like giving, but do we even give what the average American gives? You know, the average American serves 50, 50 hours a year. That equates to less than an hour a week. That's the average American serving charitable work with uh, just under an hour a week. Are we doing the average American? And at the same time, are we called to be an average American? Or are we called to be like Jesus? And so here's my challenge to you and I is simply this, and it's going to have to be something that you have to sort out with God. Do one God thing this week that may not be your thing. Because the, life is hard. And I'm not trying to divorce myself from the realities of life. Life is hard. And there's going to be moments where I don't feel like saying no to this, this thing that I want to purchase so that I can uh, help build God's kingdom with my finances. There's going to be times where I'm like, I, man, I feel like going to do X, Y, and Z, but I'm going to go and serve in this capacity or serve this person. And I don't feel like it. 
But maybe that's the moment where God will receive it as worship when you're choosing to do what you do not feel like doing because you simply love your Jesus more than anything else. And so this week, I challenge you to do one thing that may not be your thing, that maybe you've been avoiding, maybe you've been saying, no, I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like doing it. This week, out of love for Jesus, would you choose to do that one thing that you do not know, that you do not feel like doing, but you do know Jesus will receive worship through it? Would you guys stand and let me pray over you before we go into a song of worship?